I'm not personally a parent, but I can understand when parents say, I wish my children had come with a manual. Thankfully, there are some essential conversations we can all have, regardless of if we're parents or if we just interact with kids in our day-to-day lives, that will help us understand and know and love how to teach our children these essential conversations. Hi, I'm Marin, and welcome back to the Iron Rodcast. The Iron Rodcast is a podcast by me, Marin, and my friend Emily, and we are members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, and every week we get together and discuss one talk from General Conference. We're glad you're here, and we hope you come back every week. Hello, and welcome to the Iron Rodcast, where Jesus is always the answer, <laughs> lest you forget. I am Emily, and this is my friend, Marin. Hey. And she's pretty darn cute. Um, today we're going to be discussing General Conference, specifically Sister Joyce Jones's talk in the April 2021 General Conference. <laughs> um, and it's entitled Essential Conversations. So it is... A great talk, um, particularly aimed to those who interact with children, whether those are children of your own or you have a calling with children or you work with kids. Any of those are acceptable reasons to study this. Also, to feel the spirit. So um, I really enjoyed this talk and we're, I can't wait to discuss it with Marin. That's good because I read this talk and went, I don't have kids. I am so <laughs> single. <laughs> Who's going to care that I talk about this? I don't know. Let's find out. I'll care. Oh, thanks. I do. You're welcome. I thought that this talk was really insightful because, for me particularly, because a little bit of background, a little bit of history, I'll leave. Um, <laughs> I am... A former fifth grade teacher, taught fifth grade for three years, and I'm now a elementary school counselor. So some of these things were really great reminders for me um, how to have appropriate essential conversations, not in necessarily in school because that's not the time or place to have these essential conversations, but what when I do have kids, what those will look like. And it reminds me of the principles that I cling to when I have important conversations with my students. I have no experience other than I'm always in primary. (laughs) (laughs) I sub a lot in there. I have a lot of callings in there. I was a sunbeam teacher for two years and then I did singing time. And I think I'm, I I don't think I know it's just been really weird with COVID, but I'm an activity days or sorry, primary activities leader. So I, yeah, I love it there. The singles ward. I'm sorry. It's cute boys have nothing on cute little kids. <laughs> and you know what? I testify that that's true because <laughs> the Lord hung out with children and not young single adult males for a reason. Although one could argue that his apostles, some of his apostles were young single adult Too males. True. But he also was like, they're like, well, you can't, you're tired. He goes, nah. Bring the kids Mm-mm. to me. I'm like, you're right. Kids all the way. <laughs> so let's just try to be more like Jesus and 
learn from the children and learn how to have essential conversations with the children because they know what's up, believe it or not, if you give them time to to listen. They are special spirits. Why do you say that? Because honestly, sometimes I think I look at this and go, essential conversations, and they talk about it. Joy Jones says we should talk freely about the fall of Adam and the atonement of Jesus Christ and the importance of being born again. And I was thinking, those are heavy topics that as an adult, I can't fully grasp. And I, you want me to teach those to, like, five-year-olds? How <laughs> is there an age where it, like, you should teach? Or <laughs> I, Okay, that's a great question. I don't – I think the sooner you... – Obviously, you're going to, like, start off with the most basic principles, starting first, I think, with Jesus and Jesus loves you, and then kind of moving on to, like, more difficult topics. These, It's going to be new to them at some point in their lives. Um, but having – I think they always know. I think children always know that the gospel, the foundation of the gospel is Jesus loves his children and that they are a child of God. And that makes, like, they just know it, you know? Have you ever been in a situation in, like, in primary or in, I don't know, in activity days or what do you, what do they call it now? Not activity primary days. activity days. Thank you. Okay. Primary activity days where, where kids just sing with fervor, I am a child of God, because that is the foundation of the prince of the, of the gospel. I I feel like they just get it. They know it because they're closer, less jaded by the ways of the world. Um, and it's something you, I think you have to kind of experience a witness firsthand, but, but the way that children interact with each other and interact with adults is just a reminder of the purity that they have. And the innocence I think is a big key word. Um, which le- which is a Christ-like attribute related to virtue, I think. That's true. And I don't know. No, you're good. I just realized I forgot about... This is my very first day teaching Sunbeam. So backstory, my sister Riley is a few years older than me, and I had just graduated high school, and I wasn't totally sold on this idea of being an adult and being single at the same time. So I didn't want to go to the singles ward, and so my bishop said, well, I can put you in a calling. I went, yeah, that would be great. And he came back and went, I'm going to put you and your sister as sunbeam teachers. And I went, really? I didn't know I could do that. (laughs) Am I too young? No, 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 this will be great. So we had, I think it was seven. We had seven sunbeams. And Riley had already been teaching Sunbeams for two years, and so she was in her element, and she loved it. And I come in, and she goes, hey, why don't you teach the first lesson of the year? And this is right when Come Follow Me had just been put in place, so it was a totally new setup as well. And I was just feeling like, how am I supposed to teach this new curriculum to little kids? How? And it was this conversation of, well, how essential is it that I teach sunbeams who are really not paying attention to me that much? And Riley went, you just go, you just take the manual and do it. So I opened it up and went, okay, what can it be? Maybe like the days of creation or something. And the very first lesson was the atonement of Jesus Christ for the sunbeams. 
And I just, I remember feeling so, I don't think they can understand this concept of dying and Mm -hmm. resurrection, but that was the lesson. So I looked through it and previous to this, I'd been teaching adults. So I had, it was such a big gear shift. So I show up and I have, you know, a huge bag of everything I could think to grab that might catch their attention. And I got there. We have no chairs because they don't sit on chairs. We sit on the floor. And I just remember, like, praying, going, Jesus, I have absolutely no idea what I'm doing. (laughs) And and the spirit, thank goodness, was like, hey, just start telling them what the lesson is about. I went, okay. So I'm sitting there, all these seven kids are, you know, not looking at my face. And I go, today we're talking about the atonement of Jesus Christ. And they all looked at me and went, oh, like the song. And I looked back and went, what are you talking about? (laughs) My memories of primary had not had that song. And they went, it's like the song about Jesus. And I pulled out the picture. Uh, I think everyone knows it's when Christ is in Gethsemane. It's a really dark sad Mm -hmm. picture and they went yeah yeah that's Gethsemane like the song and I went I don't know what you're talking about and my sister just was sitting there like that secret little smile like oh you're gonna be so blown away (laughs) and these seven sunbeams looked at me and just started singing and it's called it's called Gethsemane I'll attach the video Mm -hmm. of Claire Crosby singing and it's a song about how Jesus went to the garden on the hill and um, Jesus, like one of the lines is Jesus loves me or Jesus was me. And I just, I was just tears streaming down my face because these kids actually did understand the atonement of Jesus Christ in a very pure way. Like you were talking about Emily, where I just could not believe that these three-year-olds were so close to the spirit and went, no, I know that. What else do you have to teach me? I went, oh my gosh, (laughs) nothing. Clearly you guys are going to teach me. (laughs) I love that. That like testifies to me of like, A, the power of, of music, especially church music, right? Of course. That you can teach things, um, through music and it sticks well, scientifically, like that, if you have um, include and incorporate songs and music, it'll stick more into your brain. Um, and so these these doctrines and principles that are taught through so casually through songs are leave lasting impressions with these children with these babies and it's so amazing to me because it's like you know how they say out of the mouth of babes you know we we learn and we grow but like i can't tell you how often in my life and in my career i have learned from children and have been reminded of the goodness of jesus and the goodness of god and god's power and influence when we have that pure faith and that trust um, that children tend to have way, way better, they have it nailed down because they don't overcomplicate things. Um, And because in their lives, I think their parents, stalwart parents specifically, have 
the courage to teach and to spend time with their children, to have essential conversations, what this entire talk is about with their children so that when they're taught about it in Sunday school or in primary activity days, wherever they are in their life, it's not this huge surprise. It's not, um, it's, it's natural where they're like, of course I know this. I know this because I sing about it in primary. I know it because I sing about it at home. I know it because my parents talked to me about it. That is the ideal. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that is what this talk is about. I think is planting those seeds through essential conversations, through essential interactions, even, um, so that your children can be prepared when they're faced with whatever life throws at them. I love that. I also love what Sister Jones says at the very beginning. And I've never thought about primary like this. In my head, primary meant like, oh, you know, the basic things that really don't matter after a while. But she went, no, primary is called primary because to our Heavenly Father, children have never been secondary. They are always primary. And you're right. (laughs) You're so right. These kids, I shouldn't be like, oh, I'll just get to you later. It's like, no, right now, right now, this is the moment. We're going to talk about this and we're going to, I'm going to give you everything I have right now when you're a sunbeam. It also just goes to say how, I don't want to, the word that comes to my mind is sticky and I hate that word and I hate that (laughs) that came to my mind, but how impressionable, sticky children's brains are, right? Mm -hmm. They're so malleable. They learn through example. I always used to say to my coworkers, you know, oh, monkey see, monkey do. Um, These children look up to adults and then they copy the example that the adults around them are giving to them. And so when you have these amazing individuals who are primary to the Lord, never secondary, um, and when we treat them like they are primary individuals in our lives, the impact that and connection that you can develop early on stays with them for the rest of their life and it helps them and I think tightens that grip that they have to the gospel. I like that. I like I was just reflecting on how you said, you know, essential conversations include songs, not just talking. And then as I were sitting here, I'm going, Oh, you know, essential conversations also include like what you said, they look at you and their minds are sticky or impressionable or whatever Mm -hmm. you want to say. And if you're just sitting there going, here's the bullet list of things I'm supposed to teach you, that's what they will pick up is the gospel is a bullet list. But I'm like, just even a couple weeks ago, I was subbing in primary and I had a group of boys that could care less. They're at that age where it's like that awful 10, 11 year old age where they're like, I'm too young, but I'm not old enough. And why am I here? It's a horrible person. Like I remember that. And it, was not fun. <laughs> yeah. And they're like, oh, things are just suddenly getting harder in my life. And so we went to singing mm-hmm. time and they went, I don't want to sing. I went, all right, well, I'm going to have a great time. And I, I was maybe being cheesy, but I do like singing. And we were learning a new song that I've never heard of before. And I was all in. And they looked at me and went, you are such a dork. But by the end of that lesson, they were singing with me and we were doing all the hand actions and I had a blast with those those young men. And Mm -hmm. that's an essential conversation is not even talking, but just showing that 
what you love and you show it. If you I think don't so. like going to church and you show that, that's what's going to be imprinted on that child. If you sit there and go, you know what, young women's is just something we have to do. Here we are. They're going to be like, oh, so this is a drudgery. This is not great. You're, the kids pick up on that. And so it's also like, if you love something, show it. There's no shame in showing it. And they'll remember that. I remember being little and how much my mom just liked putting Sunday music songs on at the beginning mm-hmm. of Sunday. And she would do like a little sigh and you go, oh, I just love that. And I was just eating my cereal at the table. And I remember that. And it might have been a little annoying as I got older, but even now I just think of, she does that still. And I remember that quite fondly. I love that. And I love your mom. And I love that she does that I love still. my mom too. She's always in this podcast, isn't she? Yeah. We can't <laughs> escape your mother. We can't. She's, but I don't want to. I, neither do I. <laughs> She's a woman of God. Mm-hmm. It makes me think of um, the principle of conversion and, and sister... Um, Sister Jones mentions that in her talk. She says, we cannot wait for conversion to simply happen to our children. Accidental conversion is not a principle of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Becoming like our Savior will not happen randomly. Being intentional in loving, teaching, and testifying can help children begin at a young age to feel the influence of the Holy Ghost. Um, I think that that ties in to what you just said, Marion, because I think that you know, conversion, kids are, kids aren't stupid. They're not, (laughs) they're not. We pick up on things. If you are yourself converted to the Lord, then it'll be a part of your everyday life. It will be, um, in all aspects of your life, you'll, you won't be ashamed to talk about it. You will, um, study the scriptures and say the prayers regular, say your prayers regularly and your children will catch up on that. And they, again, monkey see monkey do, um, they'll start adopting some of those habits. And that's kind of the goal, um, is you want, I mean, children kind of have to see that conversion for themselves before they themselves can be converted. Um, it like there's a, a method of teaching in which it's called I do, we do, you do. Um, and it's essentially the the layout for a lesson plan. Any lesson that you have, the best way to to go about doing it is by first explaining it. That's the I do, the teacher first demonstrates whatever the activity is. And then we do together, um, it's kind of like walking them through the process. Okay. We're, we're going to work on whatever skill this is, and then I'm going to let you do it by yourself. It's essentially that principle where I do first, I become converted. We do, I work with my children to help them get their roots in the gospel. And then you do on your own. I like that. I have a question though. When it gets to that step of we, uh, you, you do, where you've mm-hmm. already done it together. Are you expecting them to do it just like you did when you showed them? No, I think that there are, there's a lot to that. I think that, that we all have different testimonies and ways that we worship are different. Um, and so if I were to have a child, which I don't, um, 
I would teach them correct principles and have them govern themselves. So there, that's one of my favorite quotes by Joseph Smith. Um, what a good, Joseph good Smith. man. We love the prophet Joseph Smith. And I fear I use that way too often to justify my behaviors or to justify the behaviors of others. Even you, you, we, we need to remember that we have, only so much that we can do before it's put back on the other person. We have to remember that agency is is central to the creator's plan. Um, that the principles of the gospel will help enrich your life and you demonstrate that as you continue on in your life. But you can't be held accountable for another person's choices, including your children. Mm-hmm. And that, that's, that gets muddy and messy in life because you want them to have the joy that you have as well. Yeah. Okay, I like that. And it make, it reminded me of another story. Dang, you're good, Let's Emily. Hear it. Uh, yeah. I was, I'm good. No, listen to you and your experience. <laughs> I was, it was one of my, like, we had just moved into the house that we currently live in. And I think I was maybe four, maybe five, just little. And I had this affinity. I loved the house key that we would just leave <laughs> in the doors. But I just liked how they felt. And, oh, I even now, like, I love it when I get keys that have no meaning. But I'm like, <laughs> I, love, I love the sound and everything. So I would take the key out of the door. Here's the story. <laughs> and then I would tote it around with me. And often I would place things down and then forget that I'd done that and have no idea where I put them. It's still a thing. If you're wondering. <laughs> the older you get, the worse it Like It's a key. We need it for our house. So I couldn't unlock the door. And my mom went, hey, Marin, you must have the key. And I went, oh, I did. She said, well, where did it go? And I couldn't find it. And I was sad that I couldn't remember, but also really embarrassed because my mom was upset. Like, now we can't get out of the house. (laughs) You lost the key. And I just remember my mom and I didn't appreciate it probably until this week when I was reading the story and I remembered, but I remember her going, okay, well, this is what we're going to do. And she was very intentional and she was always like this. My dad too, but he was at work a lot. So I have more memories of my mom doing this. But she's like, okay, we're going to go pray because if we can't remember where we put something, we can ask, we can ask Heavenly Father. And I went, what? <laughs> it's a key, Mom. Like, I was five, and even then I was like, well, all right, but it's just a key. I'm sure I'll find it later. So she, it was the green braided rug. We knelt down on the green braided rug in the family room. She went, okay, I'll pray, and then I'll tell you what we should do. And I'm like, okay. So she went, Heavenly Father, we can't find this key. Marin can't remember. If you could help her remember, that'd be, that'd be so nice. Amen. I went, okay. And she went, okay, Raren, you tell me where we should look first. And I looked at her like, but you said you'd tell me what to do. <laughs> she went, no, nope. Heavenly Father will help you remember because this is your memory. I went, well, I like sitting behind the cedar chest. I also had an affinity for sitting in little enclosed spaces. It just made me feel good. <laughs> and I would hop behind this chest where we kept our blankets and just hang out there all day. And she lifted me behind the cedar chest, and I went, hey, Mom, I found it. And I was just really happy. I found it, thought I was super cool. I I remembered. And she went, okay, and now we're going to kneel down again, and we're going to thank Heavenly Father for helping you remember. 
So one, my mom was amazing at teaching me, um, like you need to pray very intentional about that. But also she taught me how revelation worked at age five. It's like, no, you can ask and God will help you remember like that. Those memories coming back to you. That's revelation. Yeah. I love that. I mean, that's, those are just prime example. That is particularly the best example of, um, incorporating the gospel in our daily life, relying on, on the savior when we need him, um, relying on our own faith, trusting in the Lord. I mean, these are all essential conversations that your mother did in the course of who knows how long it took you to find that key. Um, but these are all essential conversations that she did through example. I think that that, is amazing. And I love that. I just love, I don't know how transparent your mother is and all of that. I, I think a lot about the importance of being transparent, especially in the gospel. Um, that was okay. So the word transparent or to be transparent was a part of my mantra, my educational philosophy rather. Um, was to be transparent with my students. And it was just a, mat a matter of communicating clearly and appropriately. Um, and I think it had a huge impact on my students. Like I, I would like to think at least, um, I remember like what transparency looked like for me rather was, um, I would, if I would go to school and I wasn't feeling very good, um, I would say, Hey, guys, listen, I'm not feeling hundred percent. I need you guys to do this, this, and this, um, so that we can make this day go by faster and it can be easier for me. And that I think incorporated some respect. I think similarly, like having that sort of transparency with the gospel being like, listen, the Lord commanded us to obey the word of wisdom. And here's what that looks like. I, um, don't know why he commanded us to do this, but he commanded us to do that. And we're going to do it because we love our, our heavenly father. That is an example of transparency that I think is so, so important to have with our children, because that's an essential conversation that reminds kids that having faith is, um, sometimes is, it is kind of blind where you just don't. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. You have to use a different and sense than your eyes. Exactly. You have to rely on your own testimony to kind of drag you through the things that you don't quite understand. Mm -hmm. Um, and not only does this apply to like just the word of wisdom, I mean, there are topics in the gospel that are going to be brought up when your kids are in high school and when they are even outside of the nest, even maybe when they're in middle school or elementary school, these questions may come and it will be hard for you to be, to answer. But transparency, I think also is a way to remind your children that you are still learning the gospel and still a student of the gospel and will be that student for the rest of your life. Um, that we don't have to, know the gospel perfectly to know our heavenly father. Um, and we don't have to know why people did what they did or said what they said to know that the doctrine is constant. Um, 
I don't know. I just think of that. I think that transparency is just critical. And I think different uh, levels. Oh, sorry. I yeah. think different levels of transparency because I can remember like the example I'm thinking of. I was looking at her list. She said, be transparent about, or like do a role play, which me and Emily uh-huh. talked about before. We're like, should we do a role play? And we didn't <laughs> think it would work on this format. But my mom would role play a lot of things. And one of them was um, pornography. She was ahead of the game mm-hmm. where pornography wasn't even really on people's radar yet. But mm-hmm. she was transparent with this essential conversation of loving your body and sexual health even when i was little and i just remember going i don't really want to talk about this and even my dad was like should we be talking about this and she went (laughs) well if they don't learn it here they will learn it from someone else and it probably won't be correct he was like okay but she was transparent when i was age eight about like how babies were made but you know Mm -hmm. that's where it kind of stopped because as an eight-year-old i didn't really need to know more than this is how babies are made and if people are touching you in these ways and making you feel these things that's not okay and this is how you can talk to me about it and then as we when i hit age 12 she was more transparent about your body and everything else that comes with it and now that i'm an adult she's very transparent about other things and Mm -hmm. so she was transparent all through my childhood but different levels. So I think some people get stuck on transparent means the door is completely open. And I tell them everything. And that's not what I hear yourself saying, Emily. No, thank you for clarifying that. I agree with that a hundred percent being appropriately transparent, I think means teaching to the needs and the, the threats of that age for, for that age, if that makes any sense. So like mm-hmm. kind of what you're saying, you know, you, kids aren't going to experience um, some of the things high schoolers may experience. Um, so you kind of want to tell them enough to prepare themselves so that they are on guard so that when um, they, they do experience some things that they, they can reflect on this essential conversation and, and even on the role play that you may have done during family home evening or, mm-hmm. or after church or even on the car ride home from church, you can say, Oh, I know how that how that will end out or turn out if I say this or if I do that. Kind of prepare them enough um, through transparency for whatever that age group may encounter. Thank you. So thank, thank no, yeah. thank you for clarifying. No, thank you for teaching me that. I wonder. <laughs> All right, it's hard. It is hard. It's hard. And even as I'm talking about this, like I'm remembering how. My mom is pretty good about being transparent. She doesn't have a ton of qualms about that. But my dad did. He was like, I don't, my dad's not really, that is not his default of, let me tell you what happened. Let me tell you about my miracles. Let me tell you how about my feelings, which I think a lot of people, men and women can relate to. They go, I don't really want to share that. Right. But let me tell you. Some of the my most favorite memories of understanding gospel principles came from my dad when he was so uncomfortable sharing those. And sorry, I'm crying now. No, I'm not sorry. I'm not sorry. This is special. <laughs> Where and I won't tell you what he talked about, but he was uncomfortable and he didn't want to share, but he could feel that sharing that principle and what he felt would help me. And it has. I remember those moments when I go, you know what, Dad had that experience and he was very intentional maybe not as frequent as my mom but intentional in telling me this is what i believe this is what i experienced 
And this is how I dealt with it. And it was with Jesus. And I hold and I treasure those experiences with my dad as much as I do with my mom. Thanks for sharing that. I love that. I I think that when you were saying that, I mean, that kind of answers the question as to when to have these intentional conversations. And I think with everyone, every parent, it's different. But I think of something I learned when I was working on my master's, which is our sphere of influence. Um, if you imagine like, like, um, a chart and they're just like circles, a small circle surrounded by a larger circle surrounded by a bigger circle and a bigger, and it just keeps going outwards. The center most circle is, um, the relationship you have with yourself. And then the one outside of that is your home and family. Um, and that is the place, the time and the place you want to share these experiences. Um, the, the, the time and the place you want to have these essential conversations, because the further out you go, um, it's, it's more of a risk that you're taking that like your mom said, Marin, that, you know, they're the kids, your kids are going to learn from another someone else, right? Whether that's their friend group or, um, or their leaders, teachers, um, most commonly it is the friend group, but you have the greatest impact as it gets closer to the center of the circles. So your sphere of influence is so, 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 so important and so much more lasting. Um, another thing I think about is, um, uh, I don't know why this came to my brain, but I think that when there's an issue that happens at the school, um, you want to be the person to, to call first, mm-hmm. <laughs> which, because you get, you would rather have, um, yourself tell your version of the story, an adult tell your version of the story, than have the kid, you know, <laughs> It goes through like six or seven other kids and then it going back to the parent, but the parent is like, okay, but I heard this from, from the adult. I, I think of that as the opposite way around kind of, mm-hmm. you know, you want to be the, that first point of contact, that first, um, person to say that, you know, teach them that essential conversation, whatever it is, whether that's the fall of Adam and Eve, you know, Jesus Christ, um, sexual purity, any, any layer, you know, you want to have that first and lasting, um, conversation, crucial conversation with your children so that it'll last the longest and be the first one that it comes to their, to mind before they get bombarded with other points of view and, um, other people's um, point of view. Yeah. I was thinking also, mm-hmm. even if as a first point of contact, I remember sometimes I'd be like, mom, dad, I have this question. And sometimes they'd be like, I honestly don't know that. And so they'd either a send me, I think first always they'd be like, Hey, maybe you should go pray about it. And I hated that answer, but also like <laughs> <laughs> good for them. But sometimes it'd be like, I don't know the answer but let me connect you to a different point of contact. And I think uh, there was even one, I vaguely remember them going, why don't you ask your Sunday school teacher about that? I think she 
she has a background in that. And I was like, okay. And so the next time they asked her and she was like, oh yeah, let me talk about it. And she just, she knew this answer that I needed. And so some, it's not also, it's sometimes these essential conversations you don't know how to have and that's fine. But, you know, you could do your research and do your homework and be like, hey, you know what? I don't have the answer, but let me connect you to the right answer, not just be like, I don't know, go find someone else. Yeah. I also think that the, I love that answer because that's my job in the school system is I'm a school counselor. And I say, okay, well, I can give you the bare minimum. Like I can say, I can give you lunch on the weekends and, um, but here is, um, the resource to, or the information for the local food bank so that you can go and your family can have a stable, um, place where they can turn to, where they can get food. It's the same exact principle um, with these essential conversations. You may only know a little bit about, but always, always, always reach out when you have to. I think another great resource that I, that came to my mind yesterday when I was studying this talk was um, turn to the life of the savior also. Mm. Um, I, he has a way with children. Um, and although we don't have, there's, there's not a lot of scriptures about it, but there are different interpretations, um, of his relationship with children. There's art pieces that you can look at and study. Um, there are videos. I know there's, um, I know some people aren't a fan, but the, um, app called the chosen. Are you familiar with that, Marin? Oh yeah. I haven't, I've seen like one episode. And I don't think I kept going because it is, it's just a different view of how I see Jesus. So it takes some some time to get used to it. Definitely. Um, And I know some people that are like, uh, not a fan, but I, I remember I only made it to like three episodes before I was like, all right, where's the doctrine? Um, Which it's there. um, It's just interpretation. Yeah. Yeah. It's just different. Right. But I like um, it. This I will just insert this. I love the chosen because it makes um, Jesus a little bit more approachable, and it's yes. nothing from what people taught me. My family and my Sunday school teachers have taught me how loving God is, but I've imagined up a God in my head where He has like no emotions. He's just a flat line, apparently. And then I saw <laughs> this, and I think that's what disturbed me a little bit was He can laugh and smile and cry Mm -hmm. and which is true you can read in the new testament how when people died jesus cried and when like and he went to parties he went to weddings and celebrated i don't think he just sat in the corner ramrod straight and went here i am (laughs) which is how yeah i agree which is how i also envisioned that i i I don't imagine uh, i don't imagine jesus like playing around with children and like making them laugh and the chosen, although this is not a plug like for the chosen, um, an unintentional plug. Um, but the third episode, like I, it just came to my mind yesterday and it has a way that Jesus, like it's portrayed, um, that Jesus plays with the kids. And then afterwards he sits down and, and has an essential conversation with these children. And then they get up and they go on a walk and they laugh again. And, and I think to myself while I, after I rewatched that, you know, while the chosen isn't necessarily my favorite, um, 
this was a good interpretation for me to realize just how to talk to children and how to um to play uh, which is essential for their development and to talk to them um well and sister to... joined joe uh, her name sister jones talked about that mm-hmm. she said we can have fun helping our children build spiritual yeah. reliance at any age I was like, you can have fun I mean, I get, yeah, I had a lot of fun in primary, but I think we forget that. We're like, oh, the gospel is serious business, so it has to be, you know, like, but serious and somber are different. <laughs> you can uh-huh. have a serious conversation in a playful way and not make it somber all the time. Mm-hmm. Well, it's also just like how music um, kind of increases your ability to remember a topic the same thing with motion. The more motion and activity there is involved in a uh, topic, the more likely that'll stick to a child's brain. Um, so, like, it's great that we have head, shoulders, knees, and toes um, in primary, um, and that's a form of movement. Now, let's do a principle attached to that that'll stick to their little brains, mm-hmm. like... Um, let's attach, I don't even know. Let's do a role play. Like, faith, hope, and charity and toes. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) But it's so important. You can have fun with these kids and remember that, um, that the more movement and motion and song and joy there is in something, the more it'll last in their hearts and the longer it'll, they'll, they'll be more excited to share with other people. That excitement that you exhibit through whatever activity it is, whatever principle or doctrine it is, the more excited these children will be and more willing they'll be to share that same activity with their friends. And thus you're a missionary without even knowing it, like sending your kids on, on the secret mission of doing Faith, hope, and charity in toes. That's awesome. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, well, can we talk about, I like how Sister Jones later on talks about her personal friend who was in the army or the military, and he Mm -hmm. talks about that man who was his trainer, and he made them drop suddenly in the heat, and they had to stay completely still for hours, and he said, I was mad at my trainer, we were all miserable, he was yelling at us if we moved even a twitch. He, we were painfully punished. And he said that was so cruel, right? And then later on he was in Vietnam and suddenly he had to drop. And if he moved, he'd get shot at. And he mm. realized, well, my trainer was doing exactly what I needed. And he's like, suddenly I wasn't feeling such animosity towards him because what he taught me and required me to do saved my life. And I think sometimes I know my mom said it and I know I felt it as a teacher in even like activity days. They're like, well, I don't want to do that. And some people go, oh, well, you don't have to do things you don't want to do. But my brain's kind of teaching me because that's what my mom taught me. She goes, no, sometimes you will have to do things you don't want to do because I refuse to let you go out into the world unprotected and untrained. I think she one time said that I don't, you get to do this. Yeah. Like, this is a blessing and a privilege that 
that other children don't have. So you get to You're enjoy right. Their sex. My mom, her name's Ginger, Mama G. Yeah, she was that was every time I didn't want to do things, especially like I don't want to go to church cuz well, guess what? You get to go to church. This mm-hmm. is a gift. And I think you know, some people could look at that and go, "Oh, that's just so like Pollyanna-ish." I'm like, no, it really <laughs> my mom was really good about that she was you know what and she didn't put an ultimatum like when you're 18 you can leave or you have to do this and if you finish this personal project i'll reward you that wasn't my parents style at all she was like um no like you will get blessings beyond what i could ever give you if you will do this but right now i understand you don't want to but let me just tell you you get to do this and it to me is amazing maybe not to you but it no, is a gift I think it's amazing. and yeah. i and i get it now as a, <laughs> only 22 but i'm seeing it going my mom was right on it i go Who to church it? and i love going to church i enjoy my time there but sure there were a lot of rough patches a lot of them where i just didn't really want to go but i got to i agree and I also just looked at the time and we're at 45 minutes, which is insane because oh. <laughs> I could talk about this forever. Um, and so next week you get to listen to our next um, podcast that'll be published this coming week. Um, but I really think that kind of just to sum it all up, I think the love that we have and the example that we set for our children um, is only, like, I just think of, okay, so I, I'm i not a parent, but the children that I've worked with, I think that's the closest thing to parental love that I've experienced, um, that I, I genuinely love these kids, um, despite what they do and how they push my buttons. Um, but I, I can't imagine that that love times a billion, whatever number it is, the love that our savior has for us and the blessings he rewards us when we get to go to church or when we get to participate in activities or when we get to repent, um, whatever it is, it's there because of love and because, um, because of the essential conversation that, (laughs) I mean, this may be a stretch, but the essential conversation that he had with the savior saying, we need a savior of the world and, and you're our best bet. And the savior willingly was able to perform the greatest sacrifice ever. Um, and I know that that's true. I, I feel like, you know, our life here is just a small, a small example of what the eternities are like. And being that example inside the home, sharing our own testimony with our children, having these essential conversations are, are what tie us to the eternities and what help us be better and stronger saints um, and help our children or those in our own sphere of influence, how to rely on our savior. To any parents or teachers listening to this podcast, you are doing 
so much better than you think you are. I gave my mom and my dad a lot of grief growing up, and I still do, but they taught me essential conversations, and those are really those memories that I remember the most, more than anything else. So you're not failing, you're doing a great job. Next week, we're we're going to discuss Dieter F. Uchtdorf's talk, God With Us, and we hope you can join us again. Just a reminder, we are only two people that love the gospel and love talking about it, but this podcast is not sponsored in any way by the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. If you would like to know more about the church, please visit their website at churchofjesuschrist.org. Have a good week.